Stay here. I've got something for you. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we are reviewing episode 3.7, Don't Delete Me. Okay? No, it's KO. <laughs> Elliot tries to get ghosted. It is the day of all days. IMDb gave this a 9.6. I'll tell you my overall thoughts. I liked diving deep into Elliot's psyche from the sole perspective of just seeing him all episode. We've had so many episodes of bouncing around between characters, and it's really worked to heighten the drama and move the plot forward. But it's also left me feeling disjointed at times, so I liked returning back to our central character, no Mr. Robot, just seeing what Elliot's going through. I also really enjoyed getting that flashback of him with his father, and I think it goes a long way to explaining more about how Elliot wound up the way he is. There were some areas that I didn't like that I felt were a little bit clunky, and pretty much they're the same ones being criticized online. That was the relationship between him and Mohammed just wasn't entirely jiving right, and it was a little cliche. I agree with you for most of that, and somewhat agree with you with the Mohammed storyline. But let me first start off with the episode as a whole. You were right on target with that. We had three episodes in a row, which were high-paced, high-stakes, and high-consequences. So it was actually really nice. It was like a breath that we needed, and I think our main characters needed as well. They slowed the story way down and let us again concentrate on Elliot as a person. I love the fact that they brought back his past again because they haven't finished explaining that. That is still something of a mystery for us, which is great. Keep it a mystery, but Do exactly what you've been doing, which is giving us a little bit at a time to keep us hungry, right? Yeah, I wouldn't mind a little more. Now it's starting to feel like putting a bone in front of a dog. Mm -hmm. We got all the way up to that moment with Elliot's father. We still don't know exactly what happened with him being pushed out of the window, just the aftermath of him apologizing. And I don't know if this is intentional, clever editing, but I'm not even entirely sure that's what Mr. Alderson was apologizing for or if we just put those things together because the camera panned over to Elliot in a sling. It felt a little more like he was apologizing for the sickness and not telling Elliot what was going on and the fact that he would be leaving him. And when it comes to the Muhammad storyline, I agree with what you're saying partly. Yes, it is a trope that's used often. You bring in a child with their innocence, and it kind of levels the playing field and can sort of reset the storyline a little bit. But on the other hand, I really enjoyed seeing... Elliot open up. We've never seen him open up like that, even as far as, I don't mean like super emotionally, except for at the end at Muhammad's door. He does cry there, but we'll get to that. But open up as far as the tit for tat that you get in with kids. I like the playfulness, even if it was just a little bit of playfulness coming out of Elliot. And it brought Elliot back to baseline for a little bit, even back to the same movie theater for a little bit. I agree with that, and I'm not blaming the child actor because I think he did a great job. Rami Malek definitely acted that very well. I think it was in the writing of how they approached it. If they were going to go that route, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more complexity in their dialogue and interactions instead of it feeling so cliche the whole time. I do agree, and some people have already remarked upon it, 
I think that what Asmael does incredibly well is portray mental illness in a very real way. So while we did have the stereotype of Elliot sitting on the beach, getting ready to take his own life, utilizing the morphine, there were parts of it that felt more realistic. When you speak with people that have encountered these types of experiences and contemplated suicide, there isn't that one big moment generally that brings them out of it or makes them see the light and do a turnaround. It's more like what they've shown here where it's just delayed, put off, something happens that you're not able to go through with that act long enough that that intense emotion passes and you're able to say, okay, I'm getting through it again somehow. It might not be great, but I'm living life again. And that's exactly what this kid did. He kept stalling Elliot in effect until he changed his mind. And put a new fire under his ass. Well, a little bit, but not in this completely transformative, unbelievable way because that I wouldn't have liked. The same thing with approaching Elliot's mental illness. We get a lot of it from a psychological I don't want to call it rational standpoint, but it's more like describing it to us. What happens? What is the interaction with him and Mr. Robot? Not from an emotional standpoint. And that's what I thought was unique to this episode. What does it feel like to Elliot to go through these things? The first half of the episode, or at least the first half of the Muhammad part of the episode, I kept saying to myself, and I believe I said it out loud to you, did he take the pills and... Muhammad isn't really there? Mm. Is he on a journey in his head while he's stoned laying in the sand? And then my thoughts of that intensified a bit when we found them at that movie theater again. Well, at least Elliot at that movie theater again. It made me say to myself, yeah, he's using this as the child figure and he's the adult, but he's going through that trauma again. But it wasn't until that final scene at Muhammad's house when he's leaving that I realized I think he's real. There were definitely some parts of it that felt surreal right from the opening flashback with the Washington Township Cinema. And I understand that's the name of this town, but the connections to the plant and the bigger storyline, it felt like they were trying to tip us off. Then we had, again, the Back to the Future stuff. Is this getting to be a little much? I mean... Not for me. I like what they did with it, and we'll get into that, about the explanations, Esmail playing with us as viewers. That was cute. And another thing was the man in the ice cream truck. Was that Bo the neighbor? Yeah, if we're wrong, people are going to kill us. But I really think that was the same actor, at least. Yeah, so so. (laughs) there were just some weird things going on. Even Oren wrote into us to say, was Mohammed real and what's up with the ice cream truck? He's on the same brainwave as us. Those were the two questions we had. So we're going to get into all of that and more, but let's slow it down for a minute and talk about our stats. The origin of the title, Don't Delete Me, was obviously the title of Trent's email to Elliot. So this is really cool. We might have suspected, but we get to find out for sure the person that she trusted most. And she said this email was only going to go out to somebody she implicitly trusted was Elliot. I didn't anticipate it being Elliot, though, because Elliot doesn't trust Elliot. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty amazing. We got to go a little more into his relationships, his feelings for both Trent and Mobley, and I thought that storyline was done with after their deaths. But then, of course, there was the overall parallel to Elliot contemplating deleting himself. He has these metaphors, like in the quote when he says, when you delete something, you're making a choice to destroy it, to never see it again. You choose to delete it because you need to free up space because you don't want it anymore because it no longer holds value. That's what everyone's doing with our podcast. (laughs) Oh, no. And we also had the extension .ko, And that stands for Kernel Object. I think we might have talked about this before. Was this an extension maybe that Esmail used in a past season? 
Perhaps we should have looked. I remember kernel object coming up, which is of course an object file that contains code to extend the running kernel of an operating system. Maybe it was cur- kernel object failure. Yeah, they used that, that terminology sounds familiar. In an episode. When they talk about how it's generally not something interesting on its own, instead they're usually embedded within another structure, and that contains what the code is really interested in. There was also a few tech notes, and I did not notice the first one. I had to really think back about it. It's called a Ring Video Doorbell. And this is an internet-connected device that notifies homeowners' mobile devices when the doorbell is rang by a guest or if motion is detected. Then the homeowner can video chat back through and also replay captured activity. I noticed it. It kind of was like the focal point during the scene. I must have not been looking. And I kept staring at it. And I realized I remember that from Shark Tank when the creators of that were trying to sell it to the sharks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And here we see it at Mobley's brother's house. Yes. And they didn't utilize it. It was more of just a set piece there. But I think what Sam Esmail was trying to do is you saw how beautiful the house was. They showed the whole house twice. And that piece was to show how high tech most of the house probably is. And that's to show how much money Mobley's brother has. Yeah, how he's living despite the state that most people are in right now in society. And that's why he was so worried about his business and the bad name that this was going to give him. Yeah, and then when we come to the end, which we will go over in further depth, the fact that he's selling drugs, real drugs. Amongst maybe other things. When the economy is low and everyone's in a depression, drugs still sell. Yeah, I don't know what he's actually doing himself, but he said it was one of his shady business dealings, this guy. But back to the tech, we also see Proton Mail, something that the show has talked about before, an end-to-end encrypted email system that uses public key cryptography and symmetric encryption. So a user must authenticate with a password and use a different password to decrypt their mailbox. This is private and unknown by the service, so there's just these multiple layers of protection. That's why Elliot uses it. And this is how he receives that email at the end by Trent. Well, and finally, we had a bunch of music notes. I'll go through them quickly. These Old Memories by Honey and the Bees plays while young Elliot and his father are at the movie theater and his dad passes out. Losing You by Brenda Lee was when Elliot visited the drug dealer. Mr. Sandman by The Four Aces plays when Elliot takes Muhammad to the movies to see Back to the Future. Of course, that's the iconic song for Back to the Future. Well, no, that's the next one. It's actually called Back to the Future Overture. And that's in the background a couple of times but when Muhammad disappears. True. But I always think of the Mr. Sandman. Oh, you do? Song. Yeah, when I think of Back to the Future. <laughs> and finally, In Time by Robbie Robb, when Elliot talks to Angela through the door. And the note on this is that it originally appeared in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Another time traveler. Exactly. Excellent. Two fun facts. They're more like CKC facts. We wanted to thank Oren. He originally got the Mr. Robot hoodie e-perk, and he oh, sent it yes. to us because he's awesome. And I'm going to be wearing the shit out of that. Thank you so much. And I think he also sent some good luck because this week was the first week we were able to get an e-coin perk. So we got our e-coin water bottle. We got the stupidest perk of all. <laughs> I know, but I still feel good about it because Oren sent us the hoodie. If, we, if this was the only one we got and the ringtones from yes. the other week, that doesn't even count because you don't run out of that. Oh, actually, the ringtones were really cool, though. I wanted to talk about that for a minute. If you didn't get them, two by Mac Quail that have such a Mr. Robot feel to them. So I enjoyed that, and I do have to yell at Orn a little bit because the sweatshirt is just slightly too big for me to steal, which means it's, it belongs solely to Jason that's now. That's right. 
It's not slightly too big. It's huge on you. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sending it. All right, let's get into our synopsis and opening with my favorite scene, the flashback at the Washington Township Hall Cinema, where Mr. Alderson takes a young Elliot to see Shallow Grave. He's sick and coughing, and Elliot is still mad at him. When the dad tries to apologize for his mistakes, Elliot says he can never forgive him. And he's so cold to yeah. the father throughout this entire experience. It's so evident how badly Edward is struggling, not just physically. He's coughing the entire time, to which Elliot seems more annoyed than anything. But emotionally, whatever he's been going through in the relationship with his son, it seems like he knows his time is running out and he's trying to make it up to him. We also get so few glimpses of what Edward Alderson is really like as a person, not the internalized view of Mr. Robot that Elliot gives us. And he seems like such a genuinely nice man. So it's not the first time we've said, is that really how things happen that he pushed Elliot out the window? And if so, why? But anyhow, he goes into this coughing fit. He winds up passing out on the ground in the middle of the movie theater and Elliot just takes up the jacket and walks away. So I'm wondering, since it does seem so out of character for what we know of the father, is that really what happened? Was he really apologizing to him for pushing him out the window? Or was that just clever kind of camera tricks because then Elliot's got the sling on? I don't doubt that he hurt himself, but is there more to that? And that's why we haven't actually seen the scene where he gets pushed. Yeah, I see what you're saying because without the broken arm and without our knowledge of the window scene it could be determined from that scene that he's apologizing for not telling Elliot that he's sick right further the way the son was acting one it broke my heart especially since my father's just passed away and the way he's treating his father I for some reason went back into my head like oh if I if that was the last thing I ever said to my dad or or treated him I don't know how before he passes I don't know how I would be able to deal with it. But also, I'm thinking that was Mr. Robot already. How he was reacting to the father? Yeah, the way he was speaking to him. And then also when he picks up the popcorn, picks up the coat, and goes and sits down and he says, shh, I'm watching the movie. I think that was Mr. Robot telling Elliot to shut up because Elliot was probably freaking out like, Dad's sick, what are you doing? We need to get him help, you know? So if you extrapolate from that, maybe the window scene was Mr. Robot pushing Elliot, meaning Elliot pushing Elliot out. And the real father, Alderson, was really just apologizing for not telling him he was sick. Because we've said so many times last season, too, with the car scene with Elliot and his father, that Alderson does not look like the type of father that would do that. Yeah, and that's a question that a lot of people are bringing up. What was the exact moment when the Mr. Robot psyche was formed? So again, because of the clever editing here, they're making you think this is the first time we're encountering Mr. Robot when he goes into the movie theater, and it's because of this critical thing that happens to his father. But when he talks to him, it doesn't sound like the first time appearance. He's hushing him as though this is something that's been going on for a while. So a lot of people have said the same thing as you. They think the event could have been whatever happened when he fell out the window. That was really more of the first start time much earlier than this. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Mr. Robot, Elliot's other person, pushed him out. It wasn't the real father. So even before that is when it happened. And they were fighting there, just like we've seen them fight before. Right, but definitely not here at the movie theater being the first time. And I was even wondering, is he talking to Mr. Robot or is he talking to us? 
the audience because it's not entirely clear. Although I believe he said we never talk back to him. So that would seem to discount that. Either way, there is an emotional disconnect. It seems like this is a defense mechanism that Elliot has used before. When something upsets him, scares him, he shuts down and emotionally turns off. And that's definitely how he reacted to the father once he goes into the movie theater. And then we get this old school movie intro on the screen that leads into the Mr. Robot show title. And I thought that was such a cool touch. Oh, for sure. It was a great touch and it kind of played with our nostalgic chords, which Sam Esmail loves to do to us, right? I remember that opening sequence before the movie starts with the moving movie reel. And I read in one of the blogs that they believe it was from Regal Cinemas, which was around me in Connecticut. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then, of course, he just sneaks in. There's Mr. Robot. So you automatically get that nostalgic feel subconsciously for Mr. Robot, too. It's very clever. Yeah, this whole scene, I thought, was played beautifully to perfection. I have to say, once again, and I know I've been doing this a lot, Christian Slater, he's awesome. (laughs) I love him on scene, and I love him especially when they give him a lot of dialogue. Or when he's playing Mr. Alderson, which is so different. And then we move in the next scene to the present, where Elliot stares at the broken mirror of his medicine cabinet in his apartment, and then goes online and locates an article that links F Society to the Fun Society building and the Red Wheelbarrow. He's wondering about the deletion. Is this what happened to Trenton Mobley? Were they unwanted and taking up too much space? And again, kind of a cool metaphor. He goes on to give them their own space. He makes a CD for each of them. Bruce Springsteen magic for Trent. And this is kind of fun given what we learn later that Mohammed was born in Trenton. And this is where Trent got her name because, you know, her real name is Shama. And Bruce Springsteen is the king of New Jersey, so Mm -hmm. fun little connection. And then DJ Mobley, of course, Bitches Be Bold for Mobley or Sunil. This has me wondering, and I've wondered this in the past, but this really, now that we've seen the hacking take place more and more, and now that we've seen what the FBI does with computers, I get that he's cleansing and he does this often. He goes through the trouble of drilling through the hard drive, microwaving the RAM. Complete wipe down. But then he puts all the information (laughs) on CDs all in one case and just slides it under the bookcase. So the FBI is not going to look under furniture and see all these CDs and just go, oh, this is just music. No, they're going to search. If if you're this infamous hacker that they're in there for, they're going to search those, no? I was wondering the same thing. I have no idea why that makes logical sense to him. Maybe I'm missing something. Plus, nowadays, he'd be hard-pressed to find... Well, I guess towers still have it, but he wouldn't be able to play those CDs and laptops. I was going to say, maybe if none of them have CD players anymore, they can't put <laughs> it in. <laughs> well, and then Darlene comes over to tell Elliot he really needs to go talk to Angela. She's going through a full breakdown. And boy, is that an understatement. She's worried about Elliot because he hasn't left his apartment for three weeks. So another time jump that I wasn't really realizing how much had gone by. But Elliot's feeling extremely guilty during this time. He says he's tried everything. Medication? Therapy? Fuck. I even put myself in jail. He won't leave. He won't leave. Because I wanted this. I feel like a broken record, but... There's constantly moments where Rami Malik just seems to one-up himself. Mm-hmm. 
I've never seen him get frightening before. And I did get that same feeling Darlene's talking about, that I was actually scared of him during this scene. This scene, they must have done a hundred times because he freaking nailed it. His acting was off the charts there. He has to go through so many different kinds of emotions, personality characteristics. He's such an internal person, and that's being portrayed throughout the entire show, and yet you can read all of that so clearly. So Darlene says she feels like he's giving up, but he denies it, saying he just needs time alone to figure out how to cope. As soon as he promised her to come over tomorrow to watch The Careful Massacre, I knew he was going to do something bad. I wasn't sure until the next flipper scene that he was going to try to commit suicide, but the warning bells were definitely going off. One minor area of disappointment here, I feel like Darlene is kind of being put into these episodes as an afterthought. I was just going to say that, Mm. honestly. Right now, at this moment, the storyline has nothing for her to do, so she's kind of that person that is in everyone else's apartment to talk to for a little bit. For five seconds. Yeah. And to warn people of what's going on, so poor Darlene, she just encountered Angela, who's falling apart. Now she comes over to her brother, who's falling apart. Nobody really wants her there. She has nowhere to go. But I do think that she's going to have more responsibility in these episodes soon because of her ties with the FBI. Again, I'm jumping ahead. In the end, with Trent's email, we know that now Elliot is going to need to hack into the FBI. Yeah. And I'm hoping that Dom is going to tip towards our side and Darlene's going to be the middleman for Dom and Elliot. I agree. But how long have we been saying that now? I think it's almost a whole season that we've been wondering when is Dom going to quote unquote go rogue. You could probably record how many times I've Mm -hmm. said that and come over to the F society side, side, if you will, but mainly with Darlene, they're sure taking their time about that. And so, you know, that's another little criticism that I've had throughout season two and now a bit into season three that certain areas do feel really stretched out. I mean, I don't want them to fly through important moments, but there's some stuff that's very piecemeal. And I just wonder if the payoff is going to be worth it once we finally see those things. So, the scene with Elliot and his father in the window. It's so built up now. Can it live up to the hype once we finally get there? And another one of those areas is what is the true relationship between Elliot and Darlene? We haven't gone back to that in a while, but he used to forget her very existence. I'm keen to see that come back into focus soon, but we don't really see any more of her here. After she leaves, Elliot goes to ask his neighbor to watch the dog for the day. Although there is this very ominous feel, I think this is when most of the audience probably picked up on Elliot's decisions. And he even tells us, Deletion, when you make that decision, there's always that moment of hesitation. That annoying, are you sure dialogue box. And then you have to make a call. Yes or no. Yes, means ridding myself in the world of Mr. Robot forever. That includes you. That includes you. Maybe it's something I should have done a long time ago. This scene was sad because it's the first time we saw Elliot really care for something living. And it's got to be hard to let that animal go. Knowing that you'll never see Flipper again. Knowing what you're going to be doing. Yeah, it feels like he's kind of putting his effects in order the way people do if they're planning to commit suicide. He even throws out the Mr. Robot jacket. 
you know, this was his speech to Darlene. I've tried everything else. I don't know how else to get rid of this, how else to deal with it. He doesn't want to continue to be a danger to others. He feels responsible for those 71 buildings and thousands of people that died. I was hoping that was euphemism for him forgetting Mr. Robach, because he did say to Darlene, I've tried everything. I even took myself to jail to try to forget Mr. Robot. And he kept talking about deletion this episode. I was thinking maybe he's permanently deleting any signs of his father there. Yeah, wishful thinking. But I, I guess the very next scene has to kind of erase any of those hopes. He goes to buy a huge bag of morphine from this dealer, Hard Andy who's afraid at first that he's with the cops, but soon determines this guy has a death wish. Yeah, more like hard candy, because that's what he's selling him. When we started to get clues that Elliot was going to start using again, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, I don't want to go through that storyline again. I don't Mm. want him to be hooked on drugs and have to fight out of that again. But then when I realized that it was going to be not like, oh, he's going to be hooked again and using, it's going to be one time. Overdose. And delete. I was like, okay, that's a good twist. I'm digging that. And it's funny, there shouldn't have been real stakes because we know they can't kill off our one primary character of Elliot, right? But there were. For some reason, I still felt that, that anxiety that what's going to happen? He's alone on a beach by himself, you know? Well, because with Mr. Robot, anything's possible, right? What if he did kill himself? We've already seen Angela, pretty much. She's at her lowest point. If he did kill himself, she found out, and then all of a sudden she was seeing Elliot and Mr. Robot. They could still have those main characters in there. Oh, yeah, but I don't think Esmail would do that. I think Rami is the one person who has complete plot armor. The show is about him. Kudos to him that we could still feel that, despite that fact. Not just that. I think it was very important for Esmail to show us that these characters are feeling the pain of what they've done. Because we've been saying after the 5-9 attack, I felt like F Society, especially Darlene with the, her crew in season two, how do they not see that they made it worse? Mm-hmm. How are they not affected by this? By the way, they're never worried about money. You notice that? They're the only ones. The whole world well, is worried did, about money. Where did Ellie get enough money to buy a whole huge bag of morphine? That's what I was wondering. And the whole then time. the movies, and then even more expensive popcorn at the movies. <laughs> more than morphine. <laughs> Well, to this next scene, also I struggle with this a little bit where Elliot goes to Mobley's brother's house to pay respects. I don't know if maybe it was a little overblown, a little overacted, uh, but the brother is outraged that Mobley was a terrorist and he believes everything the news said about him. First it felt that way, but now that we know what the brother actually does, he's more outraged at the fact that he brought heat to him. Yeah, I don't know. It just... Uh, it didn't quite land for me the way it did with Trent's parents scene. I suppose so, but we also knew Trent's parents already. Oh, kind of. We saw them for like two seconds in season one. I think there was just the message that was being conveyed there was a lot deeper than what was going on with Mobley. But then again, I think we were a little more connected to Trent as a character. So let's just go there because next Elliot makes his way to Trent's house and finds out the family is moving. And the father tells him, this country blames everything on Muslims now. There's no room for us here anymore. It was a very sad scene. It was very sad. And what made it even worse is that the father, even through all of this, takes the time to speak to Elliot. And he's very, cordial is not the right word. He's still respectful as far as like human to human respect. And it reminded me that this family actually is a good family. The fact that their daughter is now being pinned as a terrorist. uh, It's got to be devastating to the family. Well, and he knows 
that it's all bullshit. You know, when Elliot says, I knew your daughter and that wasn't like her, he says, you know, of course, they're making this stuff up, but he still thanks Elliot for coming to say nice things about her because he's probably the only one that has Mm -hmm. throughout this entire thing. And finally, Elliot goes to Coney Island and sits on the beach. He takes the morphine out. It's clear he's about to overdose when little Muhammad walks up. And I think a lot of viewers initially were wondering, is this a manifestation? Is this supposed to be some version of the younger Elliot appearing to him? You know what's killing me? I'm just going to interrupt you here. Our Patreon clatchers know this. My guilty pleasure right now is Netflix, Grey's Anatomy. And so many actors have been on that show. From <laughs> There was two actors from The Magicians on there. Which, by the way, The Magicians is coming back. And if you're not on The Magicians train, you got to get on it. I guarantee if you watch the trailer for the upcoming season, it will get you hyped. And if you've read the books, all I have to say is we finally see the appearance of the keys. I've been waiting so long. This looks amazing. If you're a fan of fantasy, magic, even if you're not, it's done in such a real way. The story is so different than anything else out there. Definitely give it a look. And that's our next podcast. Once Mr. Robot ends, I think there's like a week of rest for us. And then that's our next show. So you have plenty of time on Netflix to catch up on The Magicians. If you like magic, if you like mystery, go for it. But I digress. So there was actors for that show. There was so many actors for other shows that we watch on there. And last night before I went to sleep, I'm watching an episode. The child actor who plays Muhammad, Alicia Hennig, is on it. So Elliot tries repeatedly to get rid of this kid, but nothing is working. He won't go away. He finally agrees to walk him home, and we get... Another couple of those reminders of what's happening in the outside world. There's loudspeakers reminding us of the curfew, which I keep thinking is going to come into play, but it hasn't yet. Um, But also there's the remembrance walls already that are up on the streets saying, remember the 71. Oh, there's plenty of those. Yeah. Especially as they're walking through the city, you see that. And then all the guards. This is Sam Esmail kind of creating this atmosphere that this whole episode had within the peacefulness between those two walking down the road and what's going on around them the curfew and the guards everywhere and the signs everywhere but people are still going to the movie theaters it's Hmm. i think that could sum up the episode right there just that feeling you get yeah definitely so let's go to that because that gets interesting when they return to find muhammad's house locked he somehow talks elliot into taking him to the movies this is one of the things i didn't understand In the midst of everything, they're moving because it's dangerous. They're going to leave their kid there while they go two hours away for something. Well, even Elliot knew it was fishy. I think he knew he was being played, but some part of him wanted to take him, and that's why he agreed. Yeah, but the parents weren't there. They weren't home, so they went somewhere. Yeah, probably down the street for five minutes because we find out at the end of the episode, Muhammad has keys. Yeah, but they still weren't home then. Yeah. So it's not, they were gone for a while. It's true, but like you said... It is this crazy parallel sort of society they're living in, but people have to continue functioning and living, and that's what they're doing. So there might be garbage piling up in the streets. There might be curfews set, $50 a day allowances given, but people are still going to work. They're working off of tables out in the middle of park squares. Families are still going to the movies. You have to kind of continue on, right? So I guess this has become the new normal for them. And at the movie theater, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 are playing. Let's back to the future. Can we see the Martian instead? 
Are you kidding? First of all, the Martian looks like shit. Second of all, you've never seen Back to the Future? No, it looks like an old movie. You don't understand. Today is the day that Marty travels into the future. I've wanted to see this movie on this day since I was your age. So weird that it's today. Why? What makes sense to you? Why? And as they stand in line, the people waiting to see the movie argue over what it's really about. Elliot explains it's about going into the future to change the past. One person says it's much more complicated than that, while another says, no, it's actually very simple. It's about how one mistake can change the world. I think to Sam Asmel, this was the most important scene in the episode. And of course, I'm guessing, but he's describing exactly what all the characters have been trying to say throughout these seasons, that we could reverse everything. And us being fooled, like, is this a time travel show? And all of the theories everyone's coming up with. Yeah, it's very meta, commenting directly on the viewers where some people are saying it's very complex and it's sci-fi, it's real time travel. And others are saying, no, it's not complicated. It's a simple cause and effect based on people's actions. So I think that was him in a very blatant way, putting it out there. Stop speculating. It's not that complicated. Back to the Future is just a movie. And this show is about one man's actions and how they change everything. But I got to tell you... I'm still not giving up completely. There still are some weird red flags that aren't totally explained. I don't think I ever believed it was going to be this crazy science fiction time travel thing. But I think Yasmel's got something more up his sleeve still. Back in the scene, though, (laughs) no sooner did they get into the movie theater than Mohammed slips out when Elliot's not looking and he can't find him. Few things about this scene. One, for a second, I really thought that was Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> the guy in cosplay. Doc. I was like, oh, that would be brilliant <laughs> if Sam Esmail got him there. Yep. And then I was thinking, if it is him, this all happened in that like three seconds. If that really is him, then he must be tripping and he's actually on the sand because Christopher Lloyd wouldn't be there watching it, mm-hmm. right? But then I was kind of disappointed when I saw the kid left. After all this, how bad he wa- how badly he wanted to go to the movie theater for I the know. first time. <laughs> he leaves right away to go to the mosque. Alone to sit there. Yeah, and what was the impetus? There didn't really seem to be anything that happened that prompted this outpouring of feelings like he had to leave right now. Yeah. So that was a little strange, like we just had to rush to get there. I think they got lost. They didn't know what to do. Or they cut a scene out. Yeah, it did feel like we're missing a connecting scene because also a little bizarre was this next one where Elliot finds out where he went and up pulls the ice cream truck man, played by Josh Mostel, who says he can help him. Another dreamlike sequence that I was like, he's got to be tripping. It doesn't make sense to me. It was cool, like in a weird way. It's a rabbi in an ice cream truck or something. (laughs) It it was very strange. Well, and another reference thrown in there, because War of the Worlds is playing on the radio. And when Elliot says it's about the end of the world, the man disagrees, saying at the end, the humans actually persevere. So all of these interactions, I think, are small moments meant to restore Elliot's connection to the world, to other people. Like I said before, I don't think it's one groundbreaking moment that causes him to say, I want to live again. It's one little thing after one little thing that just keeps him going until finally we have the big scene where Elliot finds Muhammad at the mosque and gets into a yelling match with the kid, finally shouting, and admitting he wishes he were dead too. 
Some viewers didn't like that. They thought it was a little too on the nose. Oh, I thought it was the one moment that was the most emotionally impactful for me. I literally took a breath in and was like, oh, that's it. He finally said it. Yeah. I thought Rami's acting of that was incredible. And it felt like the one real back and forth between him and the kid. So I don't know. I really liked it. And that prompts Muhammad to have his real moment where he wonders if he did something bad to make his sister leave. They sit down, they have this talk, and then Elliot goes to take Muhammad home where he learns that the kid hid the house keys mm-hmm. the whole time. He's been played. But he tells him he has to go get him something. And that's where you were talking about while Elliot's waiting at the door that he breaks down and cries. Between Rami Malek's acting there and the music in the background, that's what made me feel the feeling. I was like, that's the breakthrough right there. I got it before that at the mosque, and then I got it the next moment when Muhammad appeared with a lollipop and said it's because he was sick. Yeah. I mean, there were just so many levels of things going on there. Like, that's the excuse he gave, and then he had to get somewhere, and the kid's telling him, now you can go to your important appointment. And it was like, on some level, he knew that Elliot was lying, but he didn't quite grasp the gravity of what was happening in Elliot's head, and yet they still made this connection. So the thing that wasn't quite clicking for me all episode did sort of work here. And having this turnaround, Elliot returns to Mobley's brother's house to demand he hold a proper funeral. Okay, dipshit. We're not having a funeral for that waste of space. Your problem is you never knew him. If you did, you know he's not capable of that. Get the fuck off my property before I call the cops. I'll go. But before I do... Probably change your corporate email password. Using your street address, even if it's an old one, isn't the smartest. Don't feel special. I hack everyone. From the emails I found, you and your law firm swapped some shady memos I don't think the IRS would look too kindly on. What do you think you found? If you don't want me sending them out, make sure your brother gets a funeral. A good one. I want an invite. I'll make sure you get my email. Bullshit. Got these from Hard Andy? One of your shady clients I was talking about? I won't be needing them anymore. Money you make selling them back to him will more than pay for a funeral. Start writing a eulogy. Good one. I'll be in the back, listening. This was a great twist. It all goes back to the beginning of the episode. I thought it was brilliant. And it showed Elliot regaining control over this. It reminds me of the first episode of the first season when Elliot walks into that restaurant and breaks the owner down, Mm. saying he's been hacking him. He sees what he's doing. It's illegal. Right? It's very reminiscent of that scene. Yeah, we got a little of that earlier in this season, too, where Elliot's working at E-Corp and kind of taking down the bad guys, social engineering them, hacking them. Yeah, but, but putting them in their place, not speaking to them like that. No, not you know confronting I mean? them. And it made me feel so good. I was like, hell yeah. All right. Are we, are we going to start winning again? You know, it was a walk off scene for me. Well, we said we were at a real low point last episode, wondering what we had left to believe in. What is there to hope for when our protagonists are losing so badly with seemingly no way to come out on top? So I think we needed a little bit of an Elliot victory. He had his personal victory over his own psyche here. He had this small one over Mobley's brother. But the big ones are still yet to come. The him and Mr. Robot relationship and the going up against people like White Rose. But we did have one more 
really big one. And that's in this scene where Elliot goes to Angela's apartment. And when she won't open the door, he sits outside and remembers aloud their wishing day from when they were kids, where they would close their eyes and wish for whatever they wanted. Bigger bedrooms, better clothes. Then they would hope that when they opened them, it would all come true. And I guess Angela used to say, no matter what happens, we'll be okay. Another thing that we find out why Angela does some of the things she does when she's having her breakdown and talking about being able to rewind things. No, they're all going to be fine. They're all going to be okay. This goes back to these moments with Elliot when they were kids. There was also a cool filming thing here. And we've talked about it before. I'm not quite sure exactly what it symbolizes, how sometimes they have Angela all dressed in white, and if these are the moments where she's supposed to represent innocence and purity, but where they're splitting the screen, she's on the inside, the background's all black, and then she's wearing all white, and Elliot's on the outside, dressed in all black, and the hallway's all red, and it's very striking, that color contrast. So I'm, (laughs) I don't want to say I wish bad things for Angela, We were saying last episode, she's going to have to come out of this. Esmail is going to have to work it out because what purpose is she going to serve if she's like this the rest of the season? But I also think some of her best acting and most exciting moments were where she was having this breakthrough and we were getting to see in a very raw, emotional way what's happening to her. And so I guess I was hoping for just a little more of that in this scene with her and Elliot where they can connect in this way. They're both at such a low point and they have to be there for each other. And it didn't quite hit all of the notes, this wishing thing that I was kind of hoping it would. And then we have our last scene. Back at the apartment, Elliot sees a van drive by and drop off all the stuff, including the Mr. Robot jacket. That's the thing about deletion, he says. It's not always permanent. There are many reasons why you would want to recover a file you just deleted. When you have that moment of panic, that thing you thought had no value suddenly becomes important, or you have new purpose for it. So he's found a new purpose for himself in life. Yes, he has. And what's really mysterious is who dropped off the Mr. Robot coat and why. Yeah, it looked random, just like people that had picked up some stuff and they didn't want this and just threw it out the window. But definitely a turn of fate, if that's the case. No, it's got to be someone who knows him. You think so? That was planned? Yeah, for sure. Of course, this is also the moment where he logs into his email and discovers the message, don't delete me. And we froze the frame course. (laughs) We do our research for you guys so we can find out exactly what it said. If you haven't read it yet, the email goes, I may have found a way to undo the hack. I've been investigating Romero. He installed hardware keyloggers on all the machines at the arcade sometime before 5-9. The NYPD imaged all of his data after he was murdered. I was able to get this chain of custody document from them when they prepared to transfer the evidence to the FBI. They couldn't get into the encrypted keylogger containers. If Romero somehow got a hold of the keys or even the seed data and source code for the encryption tools, the answer might be in those keylogger captures. But the FBI probably has all those files now. And attached to it is this PDF that says Romero NYPD chain of custody. And that's when we get our little seed of hope when Elliot says, maybe there are still things left for me to do. So now we have a new mission. This is the way to potentially undo it and reverse it that we've been looking for. We need to get those keylogger captures, but it seems like the FBI is the only one that has their hands on it. So as you said before, Elliot's going to have to hack them. And we know he can do that. Of course. But who will he involve in it? And what will he learn? Yeah. Is it going to be him, Mr. Robot, both of them? Will they finally work together? 
Is Angela going to come back to sanity in time for this? And what's going on with Tyrell? I want a 1990s high five freeze frame with Elliot and Mr. Robot. (laughs) (laughs) I read this in New York Times and I thought it was very well thought out and very well written. They wrote, on Wednesday morning, our real Wednesday in RL, real life. On Wednesday morning, the President of the United States retweeted a series of Islamophobic videos. On Wednesday night, a persecuted character in Mr. Robot noted, This country now blames Muslims for everything. There's no room for us here anymore. And then they go on to explain, Somehow, Sam Esmail, even though he records this months ahead of time and writes it even before that, he still has his finger on the pulse of what's happening currently. Well, because he he pulls from things that are already going on, right? So this over-persecution of certain types of people, certain races, religions, based on group fear, based on the messages we receive from the government, the media, things that perhaps are not always correct, and what else are we to believe? And Mobley's brother really does a good job of representing that. He said, it's on the news. How could it be fake, right? And so we buy into that we believe that's the truth and we go along on this chain of thinking and for some people it serves them to continue that we saw a while back white rose saying we're going to put the origins of f society on iranian soil because that's going to work for us so yeah i think esmail knows all of these kind of hot buttons and he does put them into his story he does it in such a timely manner that it really works well Mm mm-hmm So let's sum this up with our robot rating. On a scale of 1 to 10, Jason, what do you give episode 3.7? I went way up, back up to 9.4. Whoa. I love the change of pace. I think we needed it. And I feel like Sam knew after three episodes of high intensity, craziness, he needed to slow things down for us and get us back into the psyche of Elliot. I once again now feel like Elliot is the key to all of this. After last episode, I was like, It's out of their hands. F Society is gone. Elliot and Mr. Robot are lost. White Rose is too powerful. There's nothing that can be done. I have new hope now. All right. Well, I went up not as much, a little bit. We were both at an 8 last episode. I went up to an 8.5. I didn't love this. There were parts of it that felt like they didn't entirely land home, but there were parts of it that I did really enjoy. Like you said, I liked the change of pace. I liked looking at this from just Elliot's perspective. I always like when we do that, slow down and take a look inside his mind to see what's going on. I agree with you. There were so many parts where, you know, the kid leaving the movie theater for no reason just to bring us to the next part of the Mm -hmm. storyline. There were moments like that that didn't make sense. But I'm looking past that as a whole. I really felt like we needed that episode. I think it depends how you felt about the last three episodes. So the last one obviously was depressing and dark and didn't leave you on an emotionally great note. But the two prior to that, I actually loved. And I did feel like in retrospect, we kind of needed a little something like last episode. I guess sometimes it feels like a pacing problem. We move really, really quick and then we slow down so much. It almost feels like there's no in between. So it's not my favorite of the season, but I definitely liked it. And that's going to take us into our MVH, Most Valuable Hacker. So on Twitter, of course, we opened our poll to the Clatchers. If you haven't joined that, it's really fun. At CKC Podcast, follow us and you'll get a poll after every one of our shows. And I got in a little bit of a trouble because I put this poll up without consulting Christina. And I thought I was being funny. Why do you go rogue from time to time? <laughs> so I gave us four options, but option one through three were Elliot. I wrote <laughs> Elliot, Elliot, duh. And Elliot dot dot dot, why even ask? 
Then the fourth one being Muhammad, Trenton's brother. Okay. But it seems like you were right and I was wrong. We should have put other characters in because now I don't know. You split the Elliot vote is what happened. So you're going to have to <laughs> add up the all three Elliot votes and well, see what they gave us. It looks like Elliot won because for regular Elliot, we got 15%. For Elliot, duh, we got 20%. And for Elliot, why even ask? We got another 20%. Then coming in at 45%, we have Muhammad. Right. So that puts Muhammad at 45 and Elliot at 55 if you grand total it. With Oren messaging that poll saying, Muhammad, if he was real, he saved Elliot's life. Hashtag Mr. Robot, hashtag dat bot. I don't know what the hashtag dat bot is. I think that's another podcast. Oh, could be. And if it is, Oren, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Melly saying, I agree with you, Oren, both on the life-saving and the doubt about him being really there. That being said, all I want now is to eat Skittles popcorn. <laughs> Which is so funny because Skittles, I think, is like $7 at the movie theater and popcorn's almost 10 We're going to have to save up for that. <laughs> and Kirk coming in saying, I'm going to write in Darlene every week until the season five finale. I heart Carly. <laughs> well, it's no surprise that my pick is Elliot. I've gone on and on about it all episode, so I don't think I need to say it again. But bravo to Rami Malek, always, but particularly in Don't Delete Me. I have Elliot as well, but it is important to state that Muhammad's character was played brilliantly. If it was a bad child actor playing, I think it would have destroyed this episode. I think he played it well, and the way they bounced off each other, and the way he brought a little bit of light to Elliot, I really enjoyed that. But still, it has to go to Elliot. Yeah, like I said before, I don't think it's the child's acting that's the problem. It's more of the writing, the sequencing, how they put it together. But a lot of people really enjoyed this episode. In fact, Metal Monkey wrote in he would give this a solid and considered 10 out of 10. He says, I don't think an hour of TV has ever put me on such an emotional roller coaster. A fact not lost at Reddit where there are many posts about mental illness tonight and a general discussion of such things. Let me stop you. Metal Monkey, it's emotional Ferris wheel. <laughs> Very good, Coney Jason. Coney Island joke. Yeah, I'm, I'm an idiot. But I am glad that this prompted a discussion about the very real issues that Esmail talks about. He also says this episode managed to make lots of people out there feel what Elliot has been going through his whole life. I even laughed fleetingly a few times and then settled back into my heavy heart like a blanket and agreed that is definitely what it prompted for me as well. Very well written. Jesus. Very descriptive. But he goes a little bit further than I would. Um, every frame and every sound was perfection this week, and it might be his favorite hour of TV show ever. Again, so I'm sorry to disagree slightly. I don't think it was my favorite. Definitely not my favorite Mr. Robot, but a needed episode, uh, a part sandwiched in there, if you will. Yeah, I, I gave it a 94%. I love the episode. Greatest ever. We're really big Game of Thrones fans, so we can't say that. Well, but. even Mr. Robot, there's definitely been some episodes that I enjoyed more than this, so I have to think about that in my grading. And as usual, we're leaving the episode with maybe more questions than we have answers. There are only two episodes left of this season, Jason. Oof. Is this going to be a reoccurrence of season two? Do you think we'll have more questions than answers once it's all over? I hope so. I want there to be more questions. I want to need it. But that just reminds me, two more episodes, and then we have The Magicians. <laughs> Arjun Gupta, who plays Penny, he said he wants to come back on, so I'm really excited about that as well. 
That would be great to have him back on. It was such a good interview the first time around. He is my favorite character on The Magician. So if you guys haven't heard that yet, you can go back into our catalog and give it a listen. And it's December 1st. So you know what that means. The holiday season is here. And this is what you can do. I know all of you have not bought your presents yet. I know it. I haven't either. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to the mall. I hate the mall. I'm using Amazon. And you guys should use Amazon too. But you should use it by doing one more click. Go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on our Amazon link. It's on the home page. You just scroll down a little bit. It says Amazon link. Or you go to support our podcast on the main menu, and you'll see it there as well. It brings you to the regular Amazon page. Do your regular shopping. Nothing costs more. It just tells Amazon that we brought you there, and we get a little bit. I think we get like a penny. But still, (laughs) any little bit helps us at this point. And while you're at it, just bookmark it. Whenever you shop on Amazon, use our link, and you'll know you're supporting us while not spending any more money. Yeah, one click, and then you never have to think about it again. So that's coffeeclatchcrew.com. Click on the Amazon link. Give us a Christmas present. That's all we need from you. And if you're feeling more inspired and you're really liking what you hear, then go on to iTunes and give us a quick review. It's always a nice little gift when those positive notes come rolling in and they make us feel good for all of this hard work that we do to put into it. But the season is not over yet. Coming up next week, we have episode 3.8, stage 3.torrent. So if you're afraid of spoilers, now is the time to get out. We will see you next time. For everybody else still here, we found out for next episode, Elliot trolls a former ally. Mr. Robot leaves a cryptic text. Tyrell gets new commands. And in the video, we saw Elliot saying he needs to set up a meeting with White Rose. Dom is telling Darlene that Tyrell is walking free. Robot says when the time is right, they will begin. You made a deal with something bigger than you. So is this the showdown with White Rose that we've been waiting for? It's really getting me pumped up for that. I'm excited to see what happens when Elliot finally confronts her. And by that, I actually mean White Rose. Mm -hmm. Because the one interaction we did see a while back, that's who he was talking to. All season long, all we've been getting is Minister Zhang. So I think it's a possibility we do see her again next time. Tyrell is getting released and getting new commands. So for who? What is he up to now? Does and how is he getting released? Why? I don't know. Mm. Well, that's got to be Santiago, right? Why would he do it? I wonder. Ugh, I mean, he's a dark army operative. If he's getting those orders from higher up that they still have use for Tyrell, need of him. Maybe, or maybe he didn't know it was going to be 71 buildings. Maybe he thought it was going to be one as well. I would be really happy if Tyrell is playing them and goes back to Mr. Robot because we hear Robot gets a cryptic text. Maybe it's from him. Either way, Elliot ends it by saying, we're coming full circle. What does that mean? I don't know. Bonsoir, Mr. Robot. (laughs) I'm very excited to see where Esmail goes next with these last two episodes. So that's it for this episode. We will be recording our Patreon bonus episode this weekend. We'll get that out to you pretty soon. I wanted to do something, Chris, and I haven't even consulted you with this. Here we go again. (laughs) Since it's Christmas, I'm thinking if we get 300 people to come on for the dollar, just a dollar a month, after one month, we'll do a whole month of bonus and movie reviews for everyone, including the dollar members. Oh, okay. So a free bonus, a free movie review. Yeah. For every Patreon member. Absolutely. And let's take it a step further. If we get a thousand people to sign on for a dollar a month, we'll make the bonus for everybody. So everyone who's on the tier two, 
drop down to a dollar at that point, and the bonus will be for everyone, tier one, two, and three, as long as we remain a thousand. I have some other ideas too. We're really looking to expand our magician's audience. We had a lot lower numbers for robot than we anticipated. And this is one of our bigger shows. So going to magicians last time, we knew that was a gamble. It's a much smaller show. Sierra Gamble? That's a (laughs) magician's joke. You could say so. Uh, Come on anytime you want, by the way. (laughs) So... It is a great show. I will talk it up to anyone, anytime. We are not getting paid by the magicians to do so, but I just think it's good TV and it's underrated. You do have the time now to go back and watch this on Netflix, get all caught up, listen to the audiobooks, which I really recommend you do. But as always, if it's a smaller crowd, it's more difficult for us to get recognized on iTunes and it's more difficult for us to stay with those smaller shows as we continue to move forward. The way you can help us with that are those iTunes reviews. So if you come and join us on the ride for the magicians and leave us a review, you might have the chance to receive something special too. For our 100th review on the magicians, we will give out a free item of Coffee Clatch Crew merchandise. If you are the lucky 100th reviewer. I love that. We're in the Christmas giving. Okay, so let's reiterate everything. Lots of gifts to you this year. So for Patreon, if we get 300 new $1 tier Clatchers on our Patreon page, after a full month, everyone will get a movie review and bonus review. One-time free gift. If we get a thousand one dollar members and we sustain that, from that point on, everyone will get movie reviews and bonus reviews on Patreon for a dollar. The power is in the masses, and you'll also know that that thousand dollars is going to go towards us being able to pay for bandwidth, being able to pay for some new gear, some new equipment. I want to get a video camera here. Let's make this thing bigger. And the 100th reviewer on iTunes for The Magicians, and this is U.S. iTunes Store. So I'm sorry, I know that restricts some people. Maybe we can figure out a way if you're outside of that area to make that happen. But the 100th reviewer for The Magicians channel in particular. Go to Coffee Clatch Crew and then click on Magicians and leave your review there. We'll get a free item of merchandise from our store. Happy holidays, everybody. Until next week. This round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.